Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater and 100 pounder. Um, I'll give you the stats. I re-entered program. I was in program briefly in the 80s uh, where I did have the pleasure of meeting some of you in this room, uh, but uh, I worked the room as opposed to the program. And, uh, uh, and in the 80s, it was a good room to work. And uh, uh, and then uh, graduated for the program, which we all know the graduation song of uh, Overeaters Anonymous is Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? <laughs> I stole that from my good friend Harlan. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, I, uh, I, uh, le- I left uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I left uh, I, when I came in the first time, I weighed 270. Uh, I left at 200. I came back at 335. So uh, that'll give you a little bit of an idea. And I was tortured for those 20 odd years, knowing you were here, but not really wanting to come. Uh, I, uh, I had a variety of problems and setbacks. And oh, by the way, I will pass some. I'm holding these. I will pass pictures around. There's, uh, there's uh, sort of in plastic. And then this is probably me at my highest weight. I was wearing a black vest because they told me it was slimming. I'm still in the same habit, as you can see. Uh, at any rate, uh, uh, I came back in. I had a variety of setbacks in my life. Uh, and I was, uh, I'll just uh, say that I was spiritually, financially, and morally bankrupt. Uh, and I was thinking about getting a gastric bypass. And I make no judgment as to people who did or want to or are thinking about it. Uh, but uh, I went to the uh, intake seminar and they showed me the amount of food that I was going to be able to eat. And I said, I am going to go crazy. Uh, if I can only eat this much food, I was self-aware enough at least to understand that. So I reached out to uh, a, a friend from the uh, from my first go round in OA who uh, happened to be uh, a therapist and uh, who would turn up in my life like a bad penny every three or four years. <laughs> uh, usually just about when I was about to go start a binge, which was completely inconvenient. And uh, uh, anyway, I reached out and I said, you know, I, I need to see you professionally. And he said, no. What do we want? No. I got insurance. I got money. No. No. But you want to have coffee. Because he knew what he was going to do, which was to try and Eskimo me back into the program. And his words were, uh, you can mutilate your body and come back to OA, or you can come back to OA. And if it doesn't take, go mutilate your body. Which didn't really seem like a great idea. So uh, uh, he just didn't really sell it hard. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I decided I was going to go to a meeting. So on July 5th, 2009, and July 5th was not uh, just a random date, it was the day after July 4th. So I was going to go out with one last hurrah, uh, because in my eating career and in my life, I forever tomorrowed everything. I was always going to start Monday, next week, the first of the month, Almalaguena. It didn't matter. I was just pushing. I was just pushing. You know, uh, uh, and so, just like I would push the other, the other goals, uh, you know, I'll never get to 250. I'll never get to 300. Now I'll never get to three and a quarter. Okay, 330. No, well, 350, you know. And I just kept pushing, you know, that back. Same kind of mentality. So I went in on July 5th and I decided that I was going to do it, actually give it a try. Uh, so I was willing. And that was the key. I was willing. I hadn't been willing for 20 odd years, but I was willing that day or that week. Uh, and uh, I went to Serenity Sunday and... Uh, uh, I spoke at Serenity Sunday because, as you can tell, I'm a shy, retiring type. Uh, and uh, 
and I decided to do it. So I have uh, been abstinent since that date. I've lost 110 pounds in that time, and uh, I've gained a lot more than I lost. I gained a new way of living and a new way of looking at life, which is what you guys have taught me, and I'm very grateful for that. That's usually you say that at the end, so I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I'm incredibly grateful to that, that gentleman, uh, and he was my sponsor for several years, and he really taught me how to, how to work this program. Uh, let me not forget to say that. Uh, so, well, I was fat before I knew what food was. Uh, I was born to a compulsive overeating mother, and if going by the big book uh, descriptions, a heavy eater dad. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point, a picture being worth a thousand words. You can see my history as those pictures go around. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. The only thing I will say uh, is that, uh, uh, number one, I uh, never felt safe because I, you know, I'm old enough to uh, be uh, fat when it was uh, political correctness was not uh, anything anyone thought of. So everyone mocked me. The kids mocked me. Their parents mocked me. My teachers mocked me. Strangers mocked me. Uh, all the time. Constant. Constant, constant, constant. So there was no safe place. And because my mother was a compulsive eater and didn't know how to handle her compulsive eating, uh, she had shame around the fact that I was fat. And so I had no safety anywhere because at home there was shame and guilt. And uh, you might be able to tell by now I'm Jewish, so uh, there's guilt was you know, sort of built in, but the shame didn't need to be there. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and she did the best she could. I don't harbor a grudge. I don't... I'm not upset at it. I don't hate her. She's been gone for a long time. Uh, I, you know, completely, you know, she did the best she could. I was going to say I completely forgive her, but that sounds like I'm in a position to do that. You know, uh, there wasn't, it's not even a question of forgiveness. She did the best she could. She loved me the best way she could. And that's the way it is. And I learn now that uh, how to love myself in a different way. And how to love my children in a different way. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, there was no safety and it was hell. Uh, and uh, I had, you know, I dieted, and in those pictures you'll see I dieted when I was 16. I lost, you know, I got down to a normal body weight, uh, and then uh, by the time I was 17, I was fat again. But, you know, I lost, I went through college fat. I like to say that I went to college uh, during the sexual revolution, and I was revolting. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I won't go into the details, but it wasn't good. Uh, and and so you know there there was a lot of a, a lot of baggage there that I needed to address. Uh, but uh, when I came into program the second time, uh, and you know, the, and, and look, the history goes like everybody else's. I would go on a diet, and diets work, right? If you really concentrate on it, if you're willing to do it, diets will work. Uh, and then at some point, and as Don P says often, it felt like there was a spring every time I was on a diet. It felt like a spring going tightening in my chest. And one day the spring would release, whether it was because I met a goal or whether it was because I didn't meet a goal. One day the spring would release, and I'd be back off to the races because I was a compulsive eater and I didn't know what to do with that. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, sometimes the spring would, la you know, th that feeling would last for 10 minutes like the diet. And sometimes it would last for a long, uh, you know, a week, sometimes two, sometimes a month, sometimes six. But it always sprung and it always went right back to the old behavior. Uh, when I came, when I got desperate enough to be willing to come to program, I was working in an office with uh, five uh, offices, four people, and six bowls of candy. Uh, and every morning I would go into the office and I would say, today I am not going to eat the candy. And every day I would eat the candy. And sometimes it was 10 o'clock and sometimes it was noon and sometimes it was 3. 
but every day I would do it and then I was a failure and oh, eff oh, it because I'm being recorded I won't say the rest of that uh, oh, eff it and then I, you know, I would be back in the food um, and uh, it was torture just pure unadulterated torture so uh, I went to a meeting and I decided I was going to do it and the first thing I needed to come to terms with was that I was powerless I had to admit that I was powerless over food now, you would think that with this history, that would be an easy thing to do, right? Because it's obvious that I was powerless over food, but not necessarily so, because I'm not only uh, powerless over food, but I'm also an incredible narcissist who felt like I could do anything, anytime, anywhere. Uh, the only reason that I didn't get into politics was because Jews couldn't become president. That was, you know, I mean, literally, so that was my mindset. So I was the piece of crap the world revolved around, you know. Uh, and so... Uh, I uh, admitted that I had to admit that I was powerless over food, but the word admit, the dictionary definition, and this will come up a lot, so I'll get this over with. I produce game shows for a living, uh, and I need proof. I need two sources, not Wikipedia. Okay, <laughs> two sources. Uh, and, and so I use the dictionary a lot, because the dictionary is a good source of information. Uh, I looked up the word admit in the dictionary, and it means to come to the truth with reluctance. Now, I don't know anyone who skipped their way into this program, and if you do, please let me know, but I did not. Uh, and so, I had to, it was a reluctant thing for me to admit that I didn't have power in any way, and certainly over something as stupid as food, right? How, I not, how does a candy bar have sway over me, a human being, with, who, you know, successful human being, by the way? I don't, want, I don't want to make it sound like my life was complete hell. I had accomplishments. I had, you know, I had good things happen. You know, I was successful in business. I had successful relationships with a variety of people. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was just completely powerless over food. And I had to admit that. I had to admit that food had the better of me. I had to surrender to that thought. And it's not something that comes naturally. And I did it by working the 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12 with my sponsor. And I had to come to the realization that I had no power over food. Then I had to come, come to believe that a power greater than me would restore me to the sanity. But I was absent in Hebrew school the day they taught God. And, uh, and I, didn't, I still don't really know what Jews think of God. But I went down to the beach and I, uh, to mold this. And uh, the waves were coming in. The tide was coming in. It was getting to be nighttime. I told the waves to stop and the earth to stop turning so it wouldn't get darker. And it didn't. I said, no, really, stop, stop, waves, stop. And the waves wouldn't stop. And, you know, and I really had this experience. People think I'm, it's, it's you know, mythological or, or apocryphal when I tell this story, but I really did have this experience. And I went, holy crap. I didn't use the word crap. I said, holy crap, uh, there's something greater than me. And that's all I really needed to start. Then I had to come to, to, to be able to figure out uh, that I would turn my will and my life over to the care of that power. Now, I don't believe... One of the things that kept me out of the program was that I heard people talking about praying to God for a parking spot. I, I think God's got better things to do than worrying about where I park. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, I, I didn't really know what God was in my life. I didn't want it to be the, the Jewish God. I didn't want it to be the Christian God. You know, uh, and, and if you look at religion, you know, there's so many religions. If anybody's right, 80% of the world is wrong. So I didn't know how to make, what, what to make of that. Uh, and I, you know, and, and I'm not that smart. I don't, I can't understand Bill Gates or Stephen Hawking's when they speak. How am I going to understand an infinite power like God? So I look at it as God as I don't understand him or her or it because I don't and it's okay because what I really think is, is that, that for me 
there is a higher power. I'm not in charge of anything except my reactions to you or to the world. That's the only thing that I'm in charge of. Uh, and my actions. You know, that, that's it. I, I'm not in charge of your actions. I'm not in charge of the way the world works. Uh, and so for me, God is really about reality. If, if I'm in touch with reality, I'm in touch with my higher power. Because it is, it is what it is. So I pray to God, and, and I use the word God, and I use the word Him, but I don't really worry about what, that's, what, the, what that is. That's not, for me, the, the basis of the program. And so I learned that I could turn my will in my life over to the power of the universe, to the energy of the universe, to the spirit of the universe, without having to worry about exactly how I'm supposed to address God or exactly how I'm supposed to do it. You know, uh, because you know, as a Jew growing up, you know, I was a post-Holocaust Jew in a world where it felt like to me that, you know, the, that certain elements of the Christian religion would rather march me into the sea than have dinner with me. Uh, and so, you know, I was, again, fear, fear and insecurity, fear and shame, fear and insecurity. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, but I didn't need to grapple with that. I just needed to know that I wasn't God, that I'm not in charge. And if anyone can go outside right now and make it sunny and 20 degrees warmer, I will start praying to you. <laughs> but until then, I'm gonna, gonna figure out what I got. Uh, and then I had to clean it up, and I won't go through the whole inventory thing because there's other stuff that I wanted to, to talk about. Uh, but, you know, you have to, I had to clean up my life because uh, the first victim of addiction is the truth because I lie to myself. Right? I lie to myself and once I lie to myself enough, it makes it easy for me to lie to you. And then it makes it easy for me to lie because I want reality to be the way that I say it is, not the way that it is. Reminiscent of certain politicians, I won't get into it. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, that is just the way that, uh, that I live my life. And so it didn't matter who got hurt. It didn't matter what, what you know, that the truth wasn't important. It didn't matter uh, anything. Uh, nothing mattered but my narcissism, my personal comfort, my personal safety. Uh, and so uh, I had to clean that up. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, l- let me back up a little bit. You know, the big book is the text of our program. The AA 12 and 12 was one of the books that saved my life. In the preface of the big book, which I would never have read because it was those Roman numeral pages and I needed to get to the good stuff. Uh, but in the preface, in the doctor's opinion, it talks that I have an allergy and I have an obsession. Allergy, dictionary definition, meaning I, I, that, uh, I have an unusual reaction. That's what allergy means. That doesn't mean I break out in highs. It means I have an unusual reaction to a, uh, to a substance. My unusual reaction to sugar and flour, and uh, not all flour, but sugar and flour combined, and sugar and salt and flour combined, is that I can't stop eating it. Just plain and simple, I can't stop. No matter what happens, I cannot stop eating it. I have no control over those foods. That is my allergy to food, and I absolutely have an allergy to food. And I have an obsession, and I've heard people talk about the voices in their head, or they're being called to food. You know, it's that, it's that, and I have that. And it's eat, 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 that'll make everything better. Because it did. That was my history. When I binged, I felt better for about 90 seconds. And then I felt worse. But those 90 seconds was all I needed. That's what food gave to me. Uh, and so I had the obsession, I had the allergy. The only thing that gets in between the allergy and the obsession, and I look at it like an electric eye in a, in, a, in a driveway when, you know, a gate that has a gate that closes, and you drive your car in and it breaks that, that, that laser, you know, laser in the mirror in the back of the receiver. You know, and then the garage door opens. That, to me, is my allergy and my obsession is just a, a circuit. What can break the circuit? Well, the only thing that I found in my life that breaks the circuit is belief in higher power. And that kind of sucked because I didn't want to. But I did. But I learned how to. 
Uh, and that breaks it. So the only thing that stands between me and my disease is my conscious contact with a higher power and my behaviors. Because my behaviors, if I'm clean, keep me sober and in the middle. And if they're not, they make me bounce around and that gets my obsession kicking. So I, I look for ways to not tweak my disease, to not, to, to not do this. So I, I find the program. And then one thing I find funny about the program is this is the only place in the world where reverse bragging is what we do. You know, I weigh 300. Oh, I weigh 335. I weigh 350. You know, I drove my car off a cliff eating a cookie. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, which is a really, a really weird society to be in, but it, it is the one that we have. Uh, and, and, and then the other question to me is, so why does God work in breaking that cycle? Why does God work when nothing else did? And I don't know the answer. But I also don't know why food works. And food works for us in this room, and anybody who uh, is unfortunate enough to have to listen to this. Uh, food, food works, uh, you know, for us. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, other people have alcohol. But alcohol works. Other people have, you know, pills. Other people have drugs. Other people, and some people don't have anything. Many people, most people don't have anything. They don't need anything because they, they're able to, they don't have the obsession. They don't have the allergy. My allergy is to food. My obsession is with food. And this is what I, I treat in this room. Uh, and so, why does God work? I don't know. Why did food work? I don't know. And I don't need to know. You know, I've heard it said that why is like a rocking horse. We go back and forth and back and forth and end up in the same place. You know, I don't know why. I can't answer why. I just know what is. And that's what I talked about before when I talked about the higher power being about reality. It is. It doesn't matter why. That's my, this is my condition. I have an obsession and an allergy to food. Uh, so now I'm here, I've, I've cleaned up my life, now what happens? How do I continue to live my life in a you know, abstinence sober manner? Uh, and I heard in this room, thank you, in this room I heard that if I want to, uh, if I, I, what I need to do is act in agreement with those principles. I can't think they're right, I have to act like they're right. So I have to, for me, that means going to a lot of meetings. That means reading, you know, something out of one of the books, uh, conference approved or not, one of the books every day. That means writing every day. That means talking to somebody every day. I have to do this because I need to, because my recovery you know, is literally moment by moment, day by day. And if I, you know, I travel a lot for work, I didn't get to a meeting for a week. And let me tell you, cake was looking good on the sixth and seventh day. You know, and that's, that's dangerous. That is dangerous, dangerous stuff. So, I did the program and I started to gain weight and abstinence because, uh, you know, I just was eating too much. I mean, let's be honest. You know, that's the only reason you gain weight, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and I was eating abstinently, but I wasn't controlling my portion size, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I, I went and I heard a guy, again, at Serenity Sunday, talk about sober eating. He said, it's not enough to abstain. That's a, uh, a reactive state. We need to be proactive. I need to eat soberly. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And, and so I, I started looking into that, and there's a group in the valley that, that talk a lot about sober eating. And it means that, I, you know, there's several things that it means. It means that I, don't, I can't trust myself with food because, as we discussed, I have an allergy and an obsession. You know, I, I, my instinct got me to 335. My instinct. I need somebody else's. You know, they say, how do you train an elephant? You tie him to a trained elephant. You can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. So I need to rely on somebody else to tell me if what I'm doing around food is sane. And I now have that, that group of guys that, that, that I can do that with. But I need to listen to sponsored direction. 
Um, you know, we talk about alcohol, uh, uh, you know, al- you know, al- you know we, everything's from Alcoholics Anonymous, and how does this synonymous with overeating? Because, you know, they can put the plug in the jug, but we have to eat. We don't have to eat like that. You know, you don't have to eat like that. And sober eating teaches me the, 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 you know, what the reality around food is, what I can put in my body that's helpful and sustains my body. You know, I say a prayer every morning that says, God, please, just for today, allow me not to binge eat or eat for my own sensual pleasure. The sensuality will take me out. The sensuality of eating, you know, of, oh, cheesy, you know, beefy, dense, you know, saucy, you know, that, that gets me back into the obsession. Instead, allow me to use food as fuel to nourish my body and sustain my soul so I may be of service to at least one other person. I say that every morning because I need to remind myself that. Uh, you know, uh, and, and so for me, my abstinence has to have big, bold lines. Now, not everybody comes from a place of 335 and compulsive eating and having the obsession even, you know, even sometimes uh, six and a half years into abstinence, seven years into abstinence, when I don't do what I need to do on a daily basis, I still feel the obsession. I still feel the craving. And I would be lying to you if I said I never took the edge off with food because there are some days when I go into a meal and even if it's just, you know, a, a piece of chicken and a salad and I eat that first bite and I go, oh, because food is what I use to take the edge off. And, you know, I try not to do it, but I'd be lying to you if I said it never happened. And it doesn't happen when I'm in, in good conscious contact with my program. It happens when I'm on the road for a week and I, I'm in Lenore, Indiana, and the closest meeting is 100 miles away, and I'm there with a bunch of alcoholics. You know, I went to a baseball game the other night and in St. Louis and uh, after six days of not being at a meeting, and the three other people I went with went straight to the bar. And I said, where's the concession stand? I'm hungry. You know, it's, it's the same ism. They wanted alcohol to treat it. I wanted food to treat it. Now, luckily, I have these big, bold lines around my, you know, around what I can and can't eat. And I've got to really make a conscious decision to go out of it after, you know, honing it in for several years. But, uh, you know, but we have the same ism. And when I took that first bite of that, the, you know, the food that I was eating, I did. I went, ah, oh, you know, because my day was over. Uh, and they did it with a drink or 12. And I did. <laughs> I had to pour them in. I had to pour them into a cab later in the night. But that's their business, not my business. I don't judge them because I have the same ism. You know, theirs isn't treated. I'm lucky that I found you guys. I am truly blessed that I found these rooms because it taught me how to be a better man. It taught me uh, how to, you know, be able to, you know, be able to not have to be victim to my disease. And, and that's the, the the biggest thing I have. It taught me peace. I was talking to someone earlier. And we were talking about you know, certain foods or certain behaviors. And I said, I don't do those behaviors because it messes with my serenity. And my serenity is what's important to me because I don't want to be bouncing off walls because when I start to bounce off walls, I start to want to eat food over it. And today, one day at a time, with your help and with your guidance and with your love, I'm able not to do that. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you very much. Uh, this is a time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and somewhat controversial, uh, and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, we are being recorded, so if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast, and I will repeat your question for those who cannot hear it, if there are any. Yes. I'm 
wondering if you have discovered any abstinence kind of whack-a-mole of addiction that, like, if when you became sober in your food, other things came up for you, and if so, how do you handle those things, or if you, what other programs uh, so the question was, uh, am I playing, uh, do, did I find myself playing whack-a-mole once I put the food down? Uh, my, uh, uh, my whack-a-mole was more with other foods than with other, with other addictions. Uh, uh, I don't like liquor, so for, that's good. I, I, I don't like being out of control, so heavy drugs are not really in my thing. Uh, there's some other behaviors that sometimes I have to look at, uh, which are probably too embarrassing to talk about here. Uh, but uh, I found the whack-a-mole really for me was more about uh, food because I would put down, you know, I did, you know my first absence was no sugar, uh, three meals a day, a piece of fruit in between, and then, you know, like soft pretzels and bagels popped up. You know, I was eating them a lot. You know, uh, and I said, oh, I can't, I have to put that down. And then french fries. Oh, french fries, french fries, french fries. You know, and then I had to put that down. So the road got narrower in the food. It was the food that popped up. Uh, not so much. But my, my, my first sponsor, uh, and Eskimo Inn and lovely human being used to tell me that uh, if I'm not working 36 steps, I'm in denial. Uh, so, you know, I, I must be still in denial. Uh, I've tried Al-Anon, and I have to be honest with you, I don't really get it. Uh, I know that that's supposed to be the graduate program. Maybe I'm just not ready for it. Uh, but I've been blessed that, uh, I, you know, uh, I guess to get to 335, you really got to be into food. And that was my, uh, that's really my primary uh, problem. But uh, I have seen uh, with both uh, friends and sponsees that that does pop up often that, you know, be, that when we put that one behavior, because we're compulsive people. Uh, we have to do it. The truth of the matter is, I, I do ask God uh, when I talk to the God as I don't understand Him uh, to you know, keep me sober and down the middle. And sobriety isn't just about sobriety with food or sobriety with alcohol. I haven't had a drink, by the way, in over seven years, longer than that since I've been absent, actually. And it's because I just don't like liquor. It's not because I'm some, you know, uh, some sobriety issue. But I, I just like I like to be sober. I like to be down the middle. I also find it very boring at times. You know, because my life used to have all these highs and lows, and now I'm trying to play it down the middle, and occasionally I'd like to have a little bit, uh, I'm feeling like I want some of that excitement, but that's when I get in trouble. Um, you said that you didn't want to have a higher power. Well, I learned it because, uh, you know, the first thing was that beach thing I talked about earlier, but I also learned that I can't control very much at all. I can't control what you think of me. And I'm told that I shouldn't care. I'm still working on that. Uh, you know, and I, I'm better at it. I don't really care as much, but I care. I was doing a, a thing the other day I, on one of the TV shows I worked on that was sort of a live stream on the web, and people were just killing me. You know, which of course that's what they do on the web, but they were just they were calling me all sorts of names, and I said, oh, it doesn't bother me, but it did. You know, so I can't say that, but uh, but I, I you know I, I don't control things. I have no power over, over you, over the weather, over the earth turning, over whether or not there's going to be an earthquake in six minutes. I have no power over any of that. So I had to learn that I am not God. I am not in control of how people, what people do, say, act, all the other stuff. And so, you know, it, and it was, uh, it, it was uh, evolutionary. It was not, I did not have the lightning bolt experience. You know, the first time I was in the program, I was at a retreat. Uh, and I went off into the woods 
uh, to, you know, to take a walk at night and I got really frightened. And I came back to the group and I stopped walking. I came back. And I talked to the group the next day and I said, I want to do it again tonight to see if I can get through it. And, uh, and they all offered to go with me. And I said, no, I need to be, do this alone. And as I stepped on the path, a car came up and lit up the whole path and made me feel safe. That's as close as I've gotten to, uh, to that lightning bolt uh, you know, uh, spiritual experience. But it's really, it really is a good analogy. You know, uh, if I trust, God will light the way. And, it, you know, and by the way, the, the, the way God lights may not be the way I want it to go. But it's the way it is. Uh, do I send my food to my sponsor every day is the question. And the answer is yes. I do a daily 10th uh, step uh, 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 which, uh, in which I, uh, I do re- uh, read a paragraph or two from a book and then write on it. And then uh, I, have, I give three answers to the questions of uh, what's going right, what is the plan, and what is keeping me from peace. And then I report my food. If I eat it, it goes on that email. Uh, and I uh, know my sponsor, who's a pretty hard-ass guy, uh, and uh, you know, and, and you know, these, you know, it's it's sort of like food boot camp up in the valley, you know. And so, uh, you know, if I if I go off the reservation, I'm on day one, and I don't want to be on day one because I know myself well enough to know that if I'm on day one, oh, day one can happen tomorrow, and it can happen the next day, it can happen the next day because. If I disconnect from this program and my higher power, I'm right back where I was, probably even worse. And that's why we talk about the weight coming back with interest, right? We've all seen people come and go from the program. They leave here at one weight. They come back 50 pounds or 100 pounds more. And our hearts all break because they, they, broke, you know, they broke the magic spell. You know, and it really is kind of a magic spell to me. You know, we talked about why does God work? I don't know. It's magic. It really is for me. And if I break the magic, then I don't know when I'm getting it back. You know, when you dance with the gorilla, the dance is over when the gorilla decides it's over. So I won't eat out of the parameters that will send me to that place because I'm really afraid of it. I'm really afraid of it. I don't want to die 350 pounds or 400 pounds. I should be dead now. I was a heart attack waiting to happen when I got in here. So, uh, so I, I, I want to take the blessing and do something with it. Um, on days where your food is clean, thank you very on days where your food is clean and you're feeling really connected and grounded and, and on the spiritual path or being, do you ever get that like mean, nagging voice that's sort of like, oh, you'll go back to the way it was. You don't eat again. This is just temporary. Uh, the question is, do, do, even when I'm in a, in a good spiritual condition, and, 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 uh, do I ever get that voice saying, uh, I, you know, that diseased voice saying, I got you, you're coming back to me, you know, uh, I can't wait to see you. Uh, and, and the answer is, is that more or less the question? Uh, and, and the answer is no, when I'm in good spiritual condition, that voice doesn't come up. It's when I'm not in good spiritual condition that that voice comes up. It's when, you know, it's when I look at the menu at the baseball stadium where I'm eating, and this was just Thursday, or well, well, what are we, it was just Tuesday night. This wasn't like, it's not like ancient history. I look up and I see what my choices are, and there are choices there that I can eat and remain, you know, down the middle of my abstinence and other stuff that might not be like the pretzel dog would be a good example. Uh, and the saying that might not be a bad idea. 
And then that's when I hear the voice that says, yeah, have that pretzel dog. And then there's ice cream down the road. You know, I haven't had ice cream in almost seven years, but you know, I, I could have it this afternoon if the, that voice gets too loud. Uh, and I don't do what I know how to do and what I know I need to do to quiet that voice. For me, the whole the, the basis of this program is quieting the voice and keeping my craziness at bay so I can eat and I can think and I can have peace. It's when, it's when I, I start to bounce off the walls that the peace goes away. It, it, stuff, tumult can happen in my life. That doesn't drive me into a place of, 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 of craziness around the food. Actually, sometimes it's better because I concentrate more on what I need to do to not go to that place. So that's my experience. But yeah, that, he, that voice comes just in a different time. Sir. How do I stay in fit spiritual condition? Well, I do this daily 10 step. Uh, I say three prayers in the morning. Uh, I say the uh, third step prayer, the serenity prayer, and the prayer that I mentioned earlier about uh, the lack of sensuality around my food. Uh, and, and that to me is a big thing, by the way, because, you know, I gave up cheese about two or three months ago. I didn't give it up. I was told to give it up, and I did. Uh, which is really what this program is about, if you really think about it. You get a sponsor who knows more about recovery than you do, and you listen to what they tell you. You know, I, I, I'm going to take a little left turn on you a little bit. You know, I always used to say that you can tell somebody who's a compulsive eater versus not, because if they go to the doctor and the doctor says, don't eat blank, most normal people don't eat blank. I go, yeah. Yeah, whatever. And I just keep it going. You know, uh, I, I went to the doctor the first of the year. He said, give up caffeine. I loved my coffee in the morning. He said, give up caffeine. I went, okay. And I gave up caffeine. Not because I'm some special dude, but because I had the program to be able to help me to do it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to my sponsor. I said, I don't feel... I was actually talking to my sponsor's sponsor. I said, I don't feel really connected to the program. I'm saying the prayers and they're just not hitting. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling I'm in danger. I'm in a danger zone, you know, at, at the moment. He said, "Great, give something up." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Surrender something." I said, "Like what?" He said, "Like well, what food do you think you should surrender?" And without thinking, and if I thought, <laughs> I said, "Cheese," and I regretted it the moment it came out of my mouth. Uh, but it's been about ten weeks, and I haven't had cheese in ten weeks. And I don't, you know, I, I don't ask him. I, the first week I went back, can I have cheese now? No, no, another week would be good. <laughs> now I don't ask because I just don't eat cheese. So, uh, you know, that's why. So I listen. And then I do the 10 step and I try and do something esteemable during the day. I try and help a fellow. To me, you know, like I could, could I, I, I do a lot of charity work. I do a lot of volunteer work because I wanted you to like me because I didn't think you would if, if I wasn't doing that stuff. So I still do a lot of that stuff. Uh, but nothing makes me feel better than a simple phone call to a fellow who might need some help. It's just, I need to do something in the program. And that's how I keep my fit spiritual condition. And it's work. It's an hour a day. But eating took up a lot more time than that. Thinking about the food, getting the food, eating the food, hiding the wrappers. You know, it took up a lot more time than, than what I put into this program. And that's a blessing. Anyone else? Yes. Well, I was so bad that I was abstinent, but not really sober with my food. I was, uh, I was abstinence being a reactive state as opposed to a proactive state of uh, sober eating. I was scared. You know, I, I, I lost 110 pounds, and I lost it six pounds a month for however many 
months it was, and that was sort of almost uh, you know surreal, you know, because I used to you know when I was uh, you know younger, uh, lots of things worked better, but when I was younger, I uh, uh, I uh, uh, you know I could lose 100 pounds in, in three months, uh, you know, not really, but I could lose 100 pounds in six months, you know, and I lost 50 pounds in three months a bunch of times. Uh, and, and so I did this and I'm eating clean and I'm losing six pounds. I'm like, what the F is going on here? I'm only losing six pounds a month. And I lost six pounds a month for 18 months. And then I started gaining, and then about six months later, I started gaining a little back and gaining a little back. That's because I was having to say, because my meals started to become a time. You know, dinner's between six and seven. Anything I can jam in there is okay. Uh, and, and, and I didn't have the words to talk to my sponsor about it. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm not a big fault finder, but that's, that's where, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a lack of my sponsors doing, it was a lack of my being able to communicate about it. And then I went to this meeting and I heard, it's not enough to not eat certain foods, we've got to know what we're going to eat, eight ounces of protein, you know, vegetables, blah, 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 this time, that time, you know, and any, div- any deviation has to be cleared with another sober eater. So if uh, I, I was... Driving down the road one day, and I realized I couldn't have dinner. I like to have dinner like between six and seven. I realized I wasn't going to be able to do that. I wasn't going to be able to have it till nine. Maybe I should switch my fruit snack to before dinner. And I just can't make that decision on my own because I'll screw it up. I'll you know I'll eat a, a grove of bananas, not a banana. <laughs> you know, and so so I had to. I, I called like nine people and I couldn't get anybody. And I finally said, you know, f it. I'm just not going to eat. I'll be hungry. And I was hungry. You know, it takes 26 days for somebody to starve. You know, I can make it 26 minutes or 26, even 2.6 hours. And so it's just a, it's a mindset. Every day, I, you know, I know I've been doing it for, you know, three and a half, four years now. And, and because of that, uh, you know, it's sort of ingrained in my, in my day. I know what I can eat and, and my lines are so big and bold that there's no gray area. You know, I hear people talk about being wonky with their food. And if it works for you, uh, great, but it doesn't work for me. I can't be wonky with my food. Now, I can eat, you know, broiled chicken breast and lettuce, or I can eat, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the greatest eight-ounce steak in the world. You know, but that's where the variation comes, not, you know, from portion size or from really, you know, the, the makeup of my food. It's pretty, pretty much what it is, and if it goes outside of that, then I'm on day one, and we talked about the fear around that, so I don't like to do that. Yes? Uh, it was, you made your bed, you lie in it, and so, uh, you know, where's the responsibility come now? Is that more or less uh, what you're asking? I think I can answer it without restating it, so forgive me for those of you who are listening. You know, you made your bed, you lie in it is uh, what my grandmother would have called the bubamisa. Uh, you know, uh, that's not necessarily true. If you made your bed, you can get out of bed and remake it. You know, I mean, you, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not frozen to somebody else's beliefs. Uh, you know, so I made my bed. I lied in it. It was a big bed. It was a messy bed. I lied in it for, you know, decades. And then I found these rooms and I said, okay, 
you know, God, you know, higher power that I don't understand, help me get out of this bed and fix it. And not only did I remake it, I changed the sheets. You know, I, it's a whole new way of thinking in these rooms. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the book says acting on life rather than reacting to it. It, it, it's, it's looking at life from a completely new prism, a completely new set of glasses. And so it's very difficult for me in the, in the 90 seconds, I believe I have left, uh, to, to explain that to you. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards, but you can, there, there's no constraints. The past is the past. That's, you know, uh, the, the serenity prayer says, God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And that includes the past. What happened even a minute ago cannot be changed. I can try and make up for it, but I can't change it. Okay, so that's all gone. Now the question is, what am I going to do with this moment? Because I don't have ten minutes from now. I have this moment. What am I going to do right now to help myself recover? And that's all that I have and that's all that I can do. So what happened five years ago, ten years ago, what my grandmother told me, what my mother told me. You know, well, the, you know, if I see one more baked apple in my life, I'm going to kill myself. Because my mother was, you know, I don't need to eat her baked apples. Okay, that's not what how I that's not how I look at my food. I don't look at my food the way she did or the way you know a, a diet program did. You know, I look at it the way that you that I've been taught in these rooms, and it's just, it's not an overnight process, but it works. It really works, and I don't, you don't have to look at me to see that it works. You can look around this room. There's a, at least a dozen people who've dropped over 100 pounds. There's other people who haven't thrown up in decades. Who had believed me that they couldn't not throw up for, for te- they couldn't not throw up for an hour, and they haven't thrown up in decades. You know, if you, if you honestly approach this program with love and 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 you know, there's a, a prayer we say that's called the uh, uh, set aside prayer, that I set aside what I think I know about how to do this, and actually take in what people are trying to tell me. You can change. You can change it. Yesterday doesn't have to repeat today, and it doesn't have to repeat tomorrow. And I'm blessed to have learned that in these rooms. And I think that's all the time I have. Thank you.